Good afternoon, everyone. And this is Andy Caruso with Nacho Nacho. And today we have Derek Osgood with Ignition. And we're going to go over some great go-to-market uh, tips for any company, especially those uh, startups out there uh, for the next generation of great products. Uh, so without further ado, I'd love to hear from Derek and learn more about what Ignition does. Hey, Andy. Yeah, pumped to, pumped to be here. Excited to chat. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the super quick version on, on what Ignition does, we're basically a platform that helps to manage the go-to-market process for product teams and product marketing teams. So, you know, we help launch stuff. So up front, we have a bunch of research tools to help collect the research, um, both competitive and customer that feeds into planning. Then we have some planning tools that help the product team to prioritize the roadmap, hand off into a go-to-market planning motion for the go-to-market teams. And then, um, you know, underlying all of that, we have a lot of communication enablement tools that help keep all those teams on the same page, get information and context to the teams at the places that they need it. And then, you know, post-launch help you actually measure the impact. Always important. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, tell me more about your career. How'd you get to where you're at now, um, helping companies with their go-to-market strategy and uh, building a whole platform around this? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I, like I've run kind of marketing and product teams throughout the Valley. So, you know, early on in my career as a PM at PlayStation, launching big AAA games. And then yeah, I've basically been around venture-backed startups ever since, did a lot of early stage stuff, you know, running marketing and growth teams, and then um, ended up joining BBVA, which is a big Spanish bank that most people haven't heard of, um, to help them uh, run marketing uh, across a portfolio of companies that we had created and incubated in-house. Um, in their innovation arm. And then, um, you know, most recently I was at Rippling and helped them stand up, you know, product marketing and scale up from seed through series B. And so, you know, I've been through a lot of like go to market processes, you know, all shapes and sizes at big companies, small companies, um, brand new companies that are launching their own company. Um, and, you know, I basically just experienced a lot of like personal pain around building these processes out and seeing all the breakpoints that happen, you know, within, within the organization. And so, you know, decided to go out and, and solve the problem. <laughs> yeah. It's a constant problem. I've been around startups for a long time and, you know, nailing that go to market and getting that established like product market fit is probably one of the hardest things you can do, but uh, once you have that, then at least you got a, a better direction that, uh, to where you're going. Um, so I guess with that in mind, what are some good go-to-market strategies that every company should consider? Um, if you had like a list of like your top three, uh, what should people consider there? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the, the important thing to distinguish here is like the difference between, you know, like company level go-to-market strategy and, you know, like how are you actually, you know, selling your help selling your product and selling your company which is like you know macro level pricing packaging positioning etc um and then you know, like go to market you know which is kind of the the element that we help with more which is like micro level go to market how do you actually go about like launching things Excellent. and so you know i think like when when i think about you know kind of the top three things that are important to keep in mind when it comes to you know the, the go to market motion and like how you're launching stuff um Mostly, you know, like one is, you know, be multi-channel, like too many companies, they kind of like rely on just, you know, we're going to send an email to customers to announce this thing. And like, that's all we're going to do. Um, and <laughs> they never get the adoption that they want <laughs> on the thing that they ship because, you know, customers don't, they miss the email, you know, they never get a follow up on it. Um, you know, they're, they only see the one email and it doesn't seem important because it's not actually landing across multiple different channels. So, um, Did you get yeah, the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like people just don't get the memo and, and then they don't end up adopting the thing that you built and you spend a lot of time and effort to, to you know, invest in shipping. Um, 
So I think, you know, being multi-channel is really important. I think, you know, the other ones are um, actually having like a concerted kind of planning motion. Um, you know, I think a lot of companies forget that they, they, their internal teams are arguably their best marketing channel and making use of, you know, all the folks in the company and making sure that they're all telling a consistent story, that they're all active and promoting the thing, you know, all that just comes down to you actually having communicated effectively internally and like done a plan, you know, gone through the planning process to identify the right messaging. Um, and then, you know, the third one is probably just like, you know, making sure that you are actually informing that process with research, you know, like too many, too often companies, they're just kind of like shipping a thing based off gut feel and like they don't, they haven't actually done any competitive uh, research. They haven't, you know, talked to customers. And so, um, you know, I think that that component is, is critical as well. Yeah, a lot of people like to go to like their go-to. Maybe they've done Facebook ads for a consumer product before, and now they're launching a B2B company and you know, it might not be as effective as maybe say LinkedIn ads or having a good email list of prospects built up in advance. And, and to your point, some of the best advocates are your early team members or partners, investors even, and the company it can be you know great channels to kind of get the word out there about it. Um, we have a saying, a nacho nacho, we like to be everywhere all the time. So... You know, to your point about multi-channel, it's definitely important. People, you know, if they see you on social media, they get an email. Um, heck, you're even texting your close partners and friends about your company launch and everything. That's really a, has a profound difference in the level of importance people apply to it. Um, I guess with that, with that in mind, uh, what do you see people? Do, how do you see people screwing up their go-to-market strategy the most? Like, what are the most common uh, pitfalls that uh, startup founders should avoid? I mean, the, the number one one is that they just don't do any planning, you know, like they, they're just kind of throwing stuff against the wall and like hoping that it sticks. And they're like so focused on getting things out the door and like so focused on the execution side of things that they don't actually like be thoughtful about, you know, what their positioning is, what their messaging is, like what audience they're really targeting. And so the number one thing, you know, that I think companies get wrong is just that they're they're too focused on like moving fast and doing things and like you know look we as a company like we very much prioritize speed internally ourselves and like we are very much a you know move fast and like constantly be shipping culture but on top of that you know like we're very thoughtful about like why and how and you know how we're going to message those things that we're building and you know i think like too often founders get caught up in the like i'm going to ship a bunch of stuff and like you know some of it will stick and yeah. I'll just figure it out later. And like, you, you never figure it out later because you don't, act, you never had a hypothesis that you were even testing up front. Yeah, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And you know, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a lame, a tried but true, uh, true term, but it, it definitely has meaning to it. So um, what, what are your thoughts on like paid advertising? Is that part of the mix? Or would you recommend that companies really try to stick the organic efforts first uh, and then they could look to scale with advertising afterwards? Yeah, I mean, like when it comes to like channel selection, so I, you know, I'm a big believer that like any channel works for any company. There's no, there's no like better channels or worse channels and there's no like right channel for your company versus wrong channel for your company. Like as long as you're creative about how you approach any channel, you can make it work. Um, but I think the, the thing when it comes to paid versus organic is like oftentimes it's just a timing problem, timing question. It's like, you know, how quickly are you trying to ramp? You know, paid like becomes a bit of a drug and you get addicted to it. You know, like if you end up spending a lot of money on and like all your acquisition is coming through paid channels, it's hard to move off of that, you know, like when you start having more and more aggressive revenue targets. Um, so that's the only big downside to it. But, um, 
paid can work great when it comes to like quickly ramping acquisition, you know, early on. And, you know, I think like too many companies are afraid of like ever using paid because they've been told so much that like paid is bad. But the reality is like, you know, if you, if you go and you just are investing a ton in content, for example, like that content takes a long time to scale. And like, if you want to create that content and get it actually distributed and published and get people's eyeballs on it, sometimes you have to invest in paid in order to get distribution on it. That's a great point. A lot of times people don't look at the trade-offs there with, um, you know, all the, all the time and money they put into say content, uh, content marketing, and then they don't scale it and get it out there for people to actually consume the content and use it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, people think like, Oh, because it's organic and because I'm not paying money for the distribution on it, it's free, but it's not, you're spending a lot of time and energy on it. And if it ramps too slowly, it still has the same impact of you burning money on an ad during that period. <laughs> well, totally true. And it just sits there. <laughs> yeah. yeah the tree falls in the woods and nobody's around to hear it. Did it ever happen? <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, what, what tips would you offer for optimizing an advertising campaign? Say if you did want to go through the paid channels, how, how would you, uh, you know, what would you recommend for startup founders to kind of dip their toes without, you know, overextending themselves and, wasting a bunch of money on ad budget before they figure out what works. Yeah. I mean, like the, the number one thing is just start small and gradually ramp. I mean, there, there's generally a rule of thumb that like, you know, once you find something that's working at the conversion rate that like you need it to be working at and it's like performing efficiently is like, you know, never do more than like doubling your ad spend in a given like week, for example, you know, it's like gradually kind of <laughs> gradually incrementally increase spend over time. And, you know, but the, the most important thing when it comes to ads is like, it's, you know, it used to be a world where there were a lot of different targeting parameters that you could dial the knobs on and, you know, end up getting outsized performance. A lot of the, the paid ad channels, they've kind of started hammering out those, you know, targeting parameter, you know, options. And it's now like, you know, you kind of just dump your creative into the system and the system optimizes everything. And so like the much, much more important thing for you to really focus on optimizing when you're building out, you know, paid campaigns is your messaging. And like, what are you saying? And like, what creative are you using? And so you really should be doing like multivariate testing, testing a bunch of different, you know, like find a couple of core messages that you think are going to resonate with those customers based on the conversations that you've had with them. And get to you know a one ad that's performing really really well first based on a specific message then start gradually layering in you know additional versions of that um over time but you know the, the biggest thing is just test messaging first and foremost and messaging in the offer there but um i guess what do you have any examples of some companies possibly that you guys worked with that really nailed their go-to-marketing strategy and you know what did you learn from those campaigns yeah, I mean, like, we don't pay as much attention to, like, our customers' specific, like, go-to-market plans because, you know, like, obviously it's private information. And so, you know, but I think, you know, when I when I look at companies that are, you know, that I really respect in terms of the way that they've, you know, like, grown their companies, um, you know, I think there's there's companies like Miro has done a killer job with, you know, like, building out community. Um, you know, I think they, they leveraged, um, you know, a significant amount of, like, user-generated content to create all of their template libraries that end up feeding, you know, their... Um, their PLG onboarding. Um, and, you know, I think they're like one of the gold standards when it comes to like content marketing and like publishing, you know, like really useful content that drives, you know, folks into the platform and then their onboarding is just super slick. Um, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of companies that I could point to like specific tactical things that they've done. Um, kind of blanking on a couple of them right now, but. 
what, what about like Product Hunt, for instance, uh, you know, for like early stage companies to kind of get out there and get some initial customers going? I think Product Hunt's funny. I mean, like we, so we've used Product Hunt, you know, a fair amount ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, like part of that is, you know, just purely just to walk the walk around like the importance of launching things for us from a branding perspective. But um, I think Product Hunt, like it used to be a better channel than it is now when it comes to like user acquisition. It's always been kind of like, a bit overrated as a user acquisition channel, um, partly because like if you look at the audience of Product Hunt, basically it mostly is other founders and it's like product managers. And so if you're targeting one of those two audiences, Product Hunt's great. Yeah. But if you're not targeting one of those two audiences, Product Hunt really, really like it, it's good for getting, you know, kind of some social proof and you get some early reviews yeah. and like there are people who like giving feedback on products. So it's good for getting like broader UX teardowns, but you're not going to get a lot of like, users who fall within your audience, you know, unless you're targeting like a very, very niche set of people. That's a great point, actually, because, um, you know, your your audience might be entirely different than what they have on there. So by bringing a product to market there, um, you might get some initial excitement about the product and some great feedback, like you mentioned, but, you know, they might not be the, your ideal customer profile that actually sticks around and is a long-term customer, which is ultimately how you build the business. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I make the, I, I make the joke pretty often that like, you know, product hunt, you're launching to other people who are launching on product hunt, like pretty yeah. soon. You know, it's like most of the people who pay attention to product hunt these days, I think are people who have their own launch that they're planning on product hunt in the near future. Yeah. And they're basically <laughs> trying to like drum up interest from people who recently launch. That's <laughs> that. Yeah. It's like getting a bunch of sales people together in a room for a party. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, what do you do? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what other tips do you have for companies to bring their bring their SaaS product to market and and uh, uh, identify some good you know some good go to market strategy there and then scale from there? I mean, I think like it's it's pretty important. Um, a lot of companies, especially early on, they really underutilize the concept of like you know beta programs and like being able to do more contained releases to smaller groups of smaller subsets of their audience. And so, you know, like this is a very common practice in like mo the mobile uh, app world where, you know, like if you're talking about scaled mobile apps, for example, they'll launch, you know, their new version of their app or their new product in a specific geography. Like it, it used to be, you know, kind of old hat, they would, they would launch in like the Philippines, you know, and they would launch, launch the first version of the Philippines, get a lot of feedback on it and then go do the bigger launch, you know, later into the broader you know, world. And so I think um, companies on the whole, like don't make use of soft launches enough and like quietly shipping something to a contained group of users and doing like kind of a two tiered launch process where you announce first to that beta group and then you announce later to your broader, you know, set of customers and like the broader universe. Um, so, and, and, you know, there's ways that you can structure that that make it dramatically more effective too. So like, if you can actually get, you know, create a formal beta program where customers opt into it and when they opt into it, they, you know, they can even sign an NDA if you want it to be quiet, if you want it to be like a stealth beta program, but when they opt into it, they feel like they're part of a, you can make them feel like they're part of a special community and they're getting like early access to these things and it makes their feedback feel dramatically more important they just, you know, are, are way, way more likely to become advocates for you down the road. So, you know, like using beta programs is, is probably one of the number one things that I think companies should do more of. That's a great point. Yeah. Cause sometimes people want to launch too, too, you know, too broadly and they might not even have good product market fit. Um, doing a soft launch gives you the ability to actually make mistakes and learn from them. 
So it yeah. could be, you know, maybe you have to tweak your messaging, maybe find a certain ad campaign or messaging resonates better. Maybe you figure out that you have some key features that are missing. So uh, why waste the, the time and scale and effort money to uh, go to a broader audience if it's not going to stick? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great. Um, what are some uh, some new marketing trends that are underutilized, do you think, that uh, some tactics that companies can take advantage of? I mean, I think like, especially when you're talking about B2B, you know, it's not really that new at this point, but, you know, I think companies, um, especially in B2B tend to be slower at picking up, you know, new platforms and, you know, like TikTok's great. You know, I, I think um, it's an area that I, I, we, we don't actually use it ourselves, but I've talked to a lot of companies that, you know, I'm advising that they're finding a lot of success on, you know, using TikTok as a channel. Um, I think, you know, part of the benefit of it is obviously you don't need a really large audience in order to, you know, instantly get fairly significant distribution. So as long as your content's you know, good and useful. Um, and I, I think a lot of people are very like hesitant in B2B to think about like social channels as a viable distribution channel because they're so like, they feel like it's a consumer thing, but those people who are consumers are still your customers. And so, reaching them on you know, a channel that's like consumer channel is still viable. <laughs> yeah, I totally say the same thing. I mean, uh, the same people that are on LinkedIn also will spend time on the social networks as well. And you now what we've done recently is we, you know, we jumped into TikTok as well for what, for these webinars, actually. Uh, we'll chop up a lot of great content for it, throw it on TikTok. And I'm amazed with the amount of views that we're getting, actually, because mm -hmm. I think there's a, you know, there's a high demand for B2B content but not a lot of people providing, you know, providing that B2B content. So just yep. um, high demand, low supply, which is a yep. great place. Exactly. Great. Uh, any other channels that people should be aware of? I mean, from a channel perspective, I, I don't know that there's any others that I would really, you know, recommend off the top of my head. I think, you know, like from a trend perspective, obviously like companies, you know, more and more are trying to, you know, start leveraging AI. So, you know, I think there's a lot of ways that that can be applied within marketing. Obviously there's content creation, um, but, you know, I think companies are also like sort of underutilizing the ability to use AI to, you know, extract insights from their, their large quantities of qualitative data. Um, so, you know, I think that's, that's becoming more and more common as people get more kind of familiar with using tools like ChatGPT, but, um, and also as more dedicated tools pop up around it. Um, but yeah, those are, that's probably the big, the other big one that I would flag these days. Yeah. I've also seen a lot of people, I, I just got a calendar notification too. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've seen a lot of people actually over rely on AI tools as well. So the opposite side of it, either they're not using it or they're using it too much where they're just trying to, you know, cut costs, of course, and they're just generating whatever image AI comes up with and they're using that. Uh, so they're losing that quality aspect, you know what I mean? Very much so. I mean, it's definitely like, you know, the, there's, it's a double-edged sword and it's a great tool, especially when it comes to like long tail less complicated content like for example you know i think using ai for generating like google ads is great because you can basically just create a huge long tail of, con of ad uh, creative that you otherwise probably wouldn't be able to, to ever generate yourself um but you know when it comes to like you you don't want to generate a landing page or you don't want to generate a blog post with it because it's just not going to be effective at communicating the value of the thing that you're building um so, you know, I, I think like you can't over rely on it, but it is a powerful tool, like when used, you know, in a much more focused fashion. Yeah, that's a great point. 
So I guess uh, failure comes with any profession. Can you tell us about a time you failed and what did you learn from it? Oh man, um, I've got, I mean, a lot of times. Uh, you know, I think that's, uh, like you said. That's why I love this question. Like, they're yeah. the best stories usually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, one that comes to mind, I mean, this is like kind of just more of a funny tactical story. Um, you know, I, I think like when I was launching, um, when I was launching a game called Beyond back at PlayStation, um, we had a campaign that we created that was basically, you know, all about uh, like we were partnering with um, Ellen Page, who was, you know, at the time uh, an actor that was, you know, starring in the game, and um, you know, basically we didn't realize that uh, she was really, really um, a massive environmental um, advocate, and we ended up doing a campaign where we basically were like shipping, you know, a bunch of blank paper to journalists. <laughs> to promote the fact that like, you know, the game had a script that was like 10 times the size of, you know, a, uh, of, of a movie script because the game was like the whole positioning was around it being a cinematic, you know, storytelling experience. And um, one of the journalists, you know, like happened to like at the Wall Street Journal ended up having to, uh, to write a piece about like our marketing campaign. And basically like, yeah. you know, it, we didn't realize that it was landing on Earth Day. And oh, so we had, our, and <laughs> we, we had this whole explosion of like, you know, things almost like the whole campaign almost unraveling. And, you know, it was, it was a, a great teaching moment for me um, because it taught me like, you know, again, the importance of like really concertedly like thinking through and planning the launches and campaigns that you are shipping because it is so there are so many potential stumbling blocks that you can fall into and like that could you know that's an extreme example but you can also fall into you know like accidentally doing a launch on a day that a conference is happening that your audience is like all going to be tuned into you know you don't want to be competing against apple dropping you know wwdc and you just didn't pay attention to the time. yeah <laughs> Yeah, so, no, that's a great point. You gotta, yeah, the, the plan is so so key to that. And I've seen people launch hardware products around Apple's uh, announcements, and it's yeah. like, don't even bother with it. You're not going to get any PR. Yeah, uh, yeah. So did this turn out to be a uh, any PRs like a bad PRs, good PR case, or was it just bad PR? <laughs> uh, bad PR. Well, it was. It was. You know, ended up actually being a very successful event. Like all in, um, <laughs> created a lot of like internal chaos <laughs> beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I had an uh, experience with that on social media. One of, one of the social media teams said something um, for a client. I'm not going to go into it, but it was quite a PR nightmare. But we, we cleaned it all up and all that. But, you know, one of, one of, one of my uh, great memories. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> um, so can you, can you tell us about maybe some of the challenges for your company that you guys overcame? And especially in the early days, I know when you're, you're, you're first getting your product or service out there and uh, um, getting your first initial clients on board and all that. Anything that you learned? Yeah, from I mean, that? like you know, I think there, there's constantly challenges that you know, as a startup, you're you're running into day to day. Um, so you know, I think the probably, I mean, the most interesting one that I think you know most companies don't talk about very much is like how do you get your first customers? And you know, I think yeah. our first handful of customers, like it's there's no science to it. You know, like the the way that we did it was a lot of like kind of just hand to hand combat. I was on LinkedIn, you know, cold DMing. Uh, people and you know I did that you know very very hyper personalized you know leaning on like my experience as a product marketer and like how that related to the problems that we were solving um, and you know like just ended up getting a couple of people who were game to give feedback and like ended up becoming customers and um, so you know I think I think 
a lot of people like they start, you know, we were talking about like paid earlier. It's like they start from the perspective of like, I need to immediately have a scalable acquisition channel for these early customers. And you know, the reality is like, you're much better off actually like doing it in a way that's not scalable at first like that. That's a great point. Build a brick brick by brick um, because those direct outreaches and conversations with customers help define the messaging and positioning and, and what works and what doesn't work with your service as you look to scale eventually. Um, but putting in that, putting in that, putting in that work up front allows you to actually, you know, learn from these customers and have real conversations. And a lot of times, like there's so much of these conversations will tell you that, you know, some survey or, uh, looking at a bunch of data won't even just tell the story in of itself, but just having like a real like conversation with customers and seeing, you know, what they're excited about, learning what their problems are and, you know, testing some potential solutions with them live and seeing what their reaction is will tell you so much more than, you know, what simply data alone can tell you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. So uh, what are some of your favorite books that you've read this last year or would recommend to people if they're looking to uh, enhance their uh, go-to-market strategy? Uh, strategy? Oh man. Um, I mean, one that I always recommend to, to folks is, um, is made to stick. Uh, you know, I think like I've talked a bunch about like the importance of like getting your messaging, right. You know, I, I think made to stick is one of my favorite books when it comes to, you know, articulating, uh, messages in cre creative ways. And it like really shifts the way that you think about like how you articulate value and how you can kind of laterally think about, um, think about that. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of made to stick. Um, you know, I recently read that reread it again. Um, and it, you know, kind of jumps out. Yeah. I need that as well. Like there's like certain books that I just want to reread just so it's always top of mind. Yeah. Um, that is a, that is a key thing. A lot of founders think like a particular feature that they love everybody else loves, but, yep. um, it doesn't quite stick that way. always. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so what, I guess what's one thing that a potential customer should know about Ignition and why should they uh, come to you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, when do they know that they need you guys to uh, work with them? Yeah, I think that, I mean, the right time to come work with us is like as soon as you actually start like concertedly shipping and launching new products or features, um, you know, within your existing stack. And so, you know, like we'll work with founders and, and product teams as early as them being like two people and they're just trying to manage their road mapping process and extract insights from their, you know, customer conversations that are happening. Um, but, you know, all the way up through like once they actually started putting a real concerted like launch and go to market process in place around bigger product launches, um, and, you know, I, th I think like the, the beauty of our platform is that, you know, the earlier, the earlier you end up coming into it, the more you're going to have like a real true central source of truth that ends up acting as like, you know, a long-term repository of knowledge for your company. And, you know, one of the cool things that we're shipping, you know, in the next like week or two is we're actually contextualizing all of your workspace data with an underlying AI layer. So anybody can come in and freeform ask questions like, hey, how do I talk about, you know, this product, this persona? We'll look across all your road mapping data, all your go-to-market documentation, and um, we'll spit out personalized messaging guides for them. So you can immediately like enable your sales team straight out of your your core planning data. Um, that's really cool. um, so what's next over the next five years? I mean, you just mentioned those new great features that you have. Anything else, you know, further down the line, or can you not uh, reveal that information? Yeah, I mean, five years is a long time in startup land. So um, <laughs> I guess there's a lot that would be different. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I think uh, in terms of in terms of you know like where what our what our bigger vision is is like you know we want to be that platform where you can truly like end to end plan you can collect all of your research you can do all your planning across multiple different departments 
And then you can actually create all of the content for your campaigns directly in Ignition and then push them outwards to the customer facing channels that you're going to use to execute those campaigns. So, you know, end of the day, like we want to be that full end to end go to market process for you. Great. Well, Derek, I really appreciate you coming on today. And anybody interested in addition, check it out today in the Nacho Nacho B2B SaaS marketplace or go directly to the website. I'm imagining it is at ignition.com. Uh, Haveignition.com. Haveignition. If you don't have it, then you're doing it wrong. So, <laughs> uh, Derek, once again, I really appreciate you coming on today, and uh, looking forward to seeing your company grow. And you know, I think it's a much needed service. So, yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, bud. Take care. Awesome. Take care.